How are you guys? Good? You hardy Minnesotans, you. Boy, a little reality therapy, right? My, my brother and sister-in-law are here from Monterey, California. Yeah, we apologize to you. They left 75 degree weather just to be here with you folks. Huh? Isn't that nice? <laughs> hey, we're in a new series. It's with fear and trepidation that we go there. Everybody's asking me, how long will we be in this series, Mark? I said, the scary part is we don't know. We're not really sure. But I'm excited to, to go on this journey with you. I love the Gospel of John. How, yeah, you guys, if you enjoy John, he is wonderful. One of the people I really look forward to meeting and having and talking with. And, and my task today is, is to kind of set a framework, uh, some introduction into where we're going and to explain to you why we're going into the Gospel of John. It isn't so much to take it apart, to exegete it. it it's really uh, with this notion of, you know, if we were to ask you of the New Testament characters, which of these New Testament characters do you think had the closest personal relationship with Jesus while he was on earth? Who would you say? Almost hands down John, wouldn't you? And so we, we figure, okay, if we read what John wrote, we're probably going to pick up on some of those keys to a friendship with Jesus. And that's, you know, what we really want to do is to, to take a look at, John, how do you instruct us in the way of relating and befriending Jesus? And along the way, there, there's struggles of communication, understanding what the book is saying, understanding what God is saying. And just in general, you guys, communication's hard sometimes, is it not? In marriage, in family, at work. And I, and I had this experience that really, again, drove home how challenging it is to communicate. I was on my fat tire bike, and, I, and I'm riding along, and I'm coming out of a kind of a, a slower, less trafficked street, but I'm coming out to a very busy one. So as I, as I go to make this turn, I can feel that a car is coming up to my left, and I notice also that there's a teenager walking a dog coming towards me. So I think I'm going to let everybody what I, know what I'm going to do. So I thought I'm going to give them a turn signal, a hand signal, right? So if I go like this on my bike, which way am I turning? Right. I thought everybody knew that. It was the strangest thing. I'm trying to communicate where I'm going. And I put my hand up. And the teenager looks at me. And then he, he looks closer. And he's trying to figure out, who is this waving to me? And he waves to me. So I just wave to him. And then the person in, in the SUV comes up beside me, and they pull over and they roll their window down and go, Are you, do you need help? Are you asking for help? I said, no, I'm just trying to let you know I'm turning right. So he had a kind of a laugh. The teenager came over and we had, we had a, a laugh about this whole thing. I said, maybe this dates me. This is so out of fashion. And, and the woman who was probably, you know, late 30s, early 40s, she goes, I didn't know that meant turn right. I said, hand over your license. <laughs> but here's the thing about it is I'm trying to communicate something I think is going to be understood clearly. This person over here has one understanding, and this person over here has another understanding. And you realize what a challenge it is to get a mutual understanding, to get on the same page. But at least they engaged me. 
And, and it, part of what we want to do is engage the Lord. What are you saying to me in this, Lord? Because if we don't, all kinds of bad things can happen, like in this cartoon. You know, and that is why we lift on three. I love this guy's face. I don't know if you can see it, but his eyes are like, whoa. And there's the patient's feet. And, you know, you, you look at that. And it, it reminded me of when I went in for my second surgery, uh, these nurses that came to fetch me were real characters. And they, they said, you know, you don't seem nervous at all, so we're not going to knock you out right away. And I said, okay. And they, they said, do you want to see what a surgical room looks like? I said, yeah, kind of, you know. I imagined it looking like Dr. Frankenstein's laboratory. And they were, as we're going down, we're talking about bike racing, of all things. And then when we get in there, you know, they, they, they said, oh, is there anything you need or anything you want? And I said, well, I, I just don't want to hear oops. And, and, and they laughed, and they said, oh, yeah, we have a whole bunch of those, like, hmm, I wonder if I can remember how to do this. Or, oh, where did I put the sponge? You know, there's, they had a whole bunch of lists of these things and said, okay, you guys, stop, because this is about to go down for me. But it's so important that we get clear what's being said here so we can get on the same page. And so if you will open up the pages of your Bible to John 1, we're just going to take a look at the, the front four verses, which are also here on the overhead. Here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. There's a relationship. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Another relationship. And without him was not anything made that was made. He in him was life and the life was the light of men. All relational stuff, the word was with God. We're being made through him. Our life is in him. And John opens up the gospel. Some people say that this may actually be a hymn that uh, the apostle enjoyed. Uh, some historians say that he may have even penned it, that he might have wrote the lyrics to it. Because keep in mind, people, that they didn't have the internet they couldn't Google. They didn't have the Bible on their phones. They didn't even have a Bible. Really what would happen to transmit the story of God was it would happen in an oral way where people would tell stories and they would have hymns like this to remind them of important truths that in the beginning was the Word. Now, why Word? Imagine for a moment trying to have a relationship where you don't use words. You don't talk. You don't communicate. You don't exchange ideas or thoughts or feelings. I mean, it's hard to imagine that there could be any kind of connection. And you can, you can realize that in this quest, what John is saying is what, what God wanted to do was not just send the written word. He wanted to send a person that embodied it. That was it, that lived it, breathed it, thought it, did it, it complete. The logos of God, the Word made flesh. Because when you see, you, you, you don't just see words, you see words made flesh. It's why J.B. Phillips translates in his paraphrase, in the beginning, God expressed himself. 
ta-da, here he is. And so, for me, I'm continuing to work on my little paraphrase. I started in James, but this is my version of this front side. In this new beginning, God started the conversation by sending his son, the perfect representation of all he wants to say to us. We know that doctors are supposed to care for us, right? We know that. We trust that. We go see them when we're not feeling well and sick. But I've never had a doctor like this doctor that I had in this recent bout that I went through. I told her, I said, you embody the Hippocratic Oath like no other doctor that I've ever met. There's a part of the Hippocratic Oath that says this. It says, I will remember that there is an art to medicine as well as a science, and that warmth and sympathy and understanding may outweigh the surgeon's knife or the chemist's drug. That's part of their Hippocratic oath that they take as doctors. So when this doctor who ordered this biopsy, which discovered the cancer, got the results, she called me on the phone. She said, Mark, are you at home? Yes. You might want to sit down. I said, ooh, okay. She said, well, the biopsy came in. It's not what we hoped for. There's cancer in there. She said, but Mark, here's where medicine runs to its end, and we run into God. And then she said to me, can I pray for you? And I said, sure. And my doctor prayed for me. I didn't just get words, did I? I got the embodiment of care, of heart, of compassion, of understanding. And I, I just, more than being stunned by that there's cancer, I was stunned by this doctor who took the time to stop and pray with me. Unbelievable. Even more, God realizes they're not going to get it. I've sent them prophets. I've sent them Ten Commandments. I've sent them all these things. They're just not getting it. Who are we going to send? Send the Son, the living Word, the embodiment of all it is so that they can see and hear and touch and feel the living Word of God fully expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews says that he is the exact representation of God. You wonder what God's really like? Read the gospel. Read it. Look at it. Sometimes when I would watch those kid cartoons about Jesus with my kids, I would just tear up the way they portray Jesus stopping in his tracks, going to this house and healing this person, stopping for Bartimaeus, calling Zacchaeus down from the tree and eating lunch at his house so that salvation could visit him. What kind of God is this that interrupts his agenda for us? It staggers the mind. And yet Jesus says in the same gospel in John 12, I only say what I hear the Father saying. There it is. The Father and the Son you're seeing it portrayed in living color in this gospel. So deeply personal that in another of John's letters, he just has to go on a little bit more about it. He says this, he says, that 
which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we, which we looked upon and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which is with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He lays out clearly in this letter, the quest is not about information. It's not to learn all the trivial facts about Jesus Christ. It's not to gather all these different tidbits. You know, it's one thing to know about him. It's another to know him. And what John is saying in the gospel, in his letters, is it is fellowship, a relationship, a connection. And so as we talked about this series, we realized the idea of a relationship with God is not foreign. But the actual experience of it, unfortunately, is. We said we can't have that. Somehow together as the people of God, we need to dig into this gospel of God and to allow it to dig into us in a way that connects us deeper, more consistently. Not just here on a Sunday morning, but tomorrow when the alarm clock goes off, God, right here. When you're driving in rush hour traffic, God, right here. When your teenager decides to exhibit pirate tendencies and rebel against you, God, right here. Dallas Willard says it this way, that you and I are unceasing spiritual beings created to live in friendship with God forever. Is there any pushback on that? Can we agree on that? That the whole story is that we, we would undo what went wrong in the garden, that the veil would be torn and that we could have access and relationship and that we could be together. Is it not John's portrayal of Jesus' priestly prayer. I mean, he's not thinking about what he's going to go through. He's thinking about us, and he says, Father, my desire is that they would be one, even as you and I are one. And Dallas says, otherwise, if we don't keep this centermost, otherwise we're very likely to, use, to lose the main point of what it's all about. And the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is fellowship with God. Relationship. Otherwise, we begin to look at the book as a to-do list. We look at it as a source of shame, of failure. Like, I can't possibly do this. I can't possibly. So we disengage. Why is Bible readership at an all-time low in our country? I suspect it's got more to do with how people interact with it and less to do about people's busyness. They kind of look at it and they go, I, I, don't, I don't know. What am I supposed to get out of that book? And so when we were talking about this and this burden that God has placed in our heart, we, we, we said the Gospel of John, I, how, where else can you go where you find someone who, 
who roots his identity, his reputation, his life in who Jesus is to him. He says he often identifies himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. He's not worried about fame. He's not worried about any other reputation. He's not worried about anything but seated in the fact that he is loved by Jesus. So I want you to do something right now. I want you to turn to your neighbor, your friend, and introduce yourself and say, Hi, I'm Mark, and I'm a disciple who's loved by Jesus. Go ahead. Say it like you mean it. <laughs> Good work. You are. That's who you and I are. We are his beloved. And, and where we find our place, where we need to seed our places, is in him. Is how Paul says it. And how John says it is, I'm the disciple whom he loved. You see, the, the Bible is given to us to always provoke us, to invite us, to challenge us, to engage more with God in our relationship. You know, I, I so appreciate Pastor Heidi and what she means to our team. And when we were talking about this series, uh, she always brings good challenges. If, if you get to know Heidi, she's like, we can do that, or we can do better. Or, and so she was saying, you know, I, I really think in this series, we need to have more experiences, more hands-on, roll-up-your-sleeves experience. And I'm like, yes. So, you know, I was praying, Lord, what do I do in this? And, and nothing really clear came to my mind, but I, I want to invite you to pray for us that, God, you would, you would take us on an experiential journey. Not just an informational one, but where we experience but not everything that we need to do can be done on a Sunday morning. We just don't have the time. So I want to invite you to uh, this Emmanuel Life seminar that's coming up this Wednesday and next Wednesday because that, Sharon is kind of the, the mastermind behind that. She's done a wonderful job of, of laying out, and it is full of different experiences that help you connect and stay connected to Jesus, which is critical in our walk. What's it look like? to take Jesus to school, to work, to the neighbor's house, to the hospital, to the bank. What's it really look like? So I want to invite you to those experiences. I, I think they're going to be great. Because oftentimes what happens is we read this and we go, oh yeah, yeah, it's going to be really cool to be engaged with God and to be friends with God. But it's, it's, it's bigger than how we think of friendship on the planet. Think about this for a moment. The, the reason that you're friends with your friends is because you probably have a lot in common. You like to do the same things, or you're thinking the same things, or you like to go to the same restaurants, or whatever it is, there's some mutual connection, and, and then it makes you friends. But your relationship with God is much bigger and broader than just that. Yes, there'll be some cool moments, but... There'll be some challenging ones as well. Can I get an amen? There'll be these places where it's like, ooh, you want to go there? You want me to do what? And it's, it's where you start to realize, oh, this relationship is a unique relationship. It's one of a kind. 
Because there's a struggle that we encounter between just reading the Bible and trusting the Bible. There's a big struggle. And this happens when the perfect meets the imperfect, when God meets Mark Spencer. And it makes for this uniquely different encounter because he's perfect and I'm not. And there's no other relationship that you have where you're relating to an absolutely perfect person, despite what your spouse may tell you. It's just not happening. When you think about this, just look at the contrast. God is perfect. We're not. God doesn't change. Boy, we do, don't we? God is timeless. We aren't. God knows everything. We just think we do. And there's this, this sense as we, as we go through that, yeah, this is a, it's a different kind of relationship. And because of that, there are some times where understanding what he said isn't the big challenge. The big challenge is trusting what he said and, and going with him. And so I'm going to leave the Gospel of John for a moment and go into an epistle of Paul, Philippians, to give you one of my favorite verses that I used to dish, dole out when I was fathering my five kids. And we would go on family vacations where they were just perfectly well-behaved. They sat in their seat. They never poked one another, never took one another. They just were complete angels. Bleh. And this, so this verse would be one of several that I would pull out. And it reads as follows. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's a good one, isn't it? And wouldn't you know it that as soon as I would tell the kids that, they'd go, oh, yeah, that's right, and they completely stop arguing and complaining. Now, it doesn't work that way. But is there anything, ladies and gentlemen, that's hard to understand about this verse? It's the proverbial two-by-four right about here, isn't it? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. The problem is not the information. The problem is the implementation how do we do that? How is that possible? Do we just put duct tape over our mouth that says complaining and we stop right there? What does it actually look like? The funny thing that I find about this verse is it's telling us not to complain about anything and we start complaining about it, the verse. But here's the deal. If I'm going to engage with the word in a way that doesn't just involve information, but steps into the invitation, there's work to be done, right? There's a deeper work. It's not just about, oh, I know that verse. It's he, I got to live that verse. So the conversation is going to look a little something like this. I first open up to God and I say, God, do you really mean everything because when we read these verses that are so big and so expansive and, and seem beyond us, one of the challenges we have is to, sh to not shrink it, to not make it less than it really is. It's meant to be that way. It's meant to be God-sized, not Mark-sized. If you're going to get to the end point of where Paul's going in this verse, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you shine like stars in a dark world. Ah, if you're going to shine, 
It's going to have to be something a whole lot more than Mark's bald head. It's going to have to be something within me that seems beyond me, right? It's God-sized. But oftentimes when we, when we hit verses like this, we, we disempower it, we shrink it. And I'm tempted to do that. I'm kind of talking with God. I said, does it really mean that? I wonder what the Greek says, God. Let's take a look at that. God says back to me, what does it say? Sometimes he would say to the Old Testament prophets, what do you see? What do you hear? He's just checking. He's doing a little reality therapy. What do you see? I read it again, and then I go, it's impossible. I can't do that. I know I can't do that. And here's another place in the encounter of the Word of God that we disengage. We say, well, because I can't do it, it can't be done. Ha ha! To which God says for you, yes. Holy pause. He waits. He lets Mark squirm. And Mark is squirming. I said, well, what do I do about it? You see, this is an important question. You see, Instead of shrinking the verse, instead of ignoring the verse, instead of retranslating the verse, it's just accepting the verse as a truth and an invitation from God. Okay, what, what do I do about this? You might right now be in a situation, in a challenge, in a place where God is convicting you over certain thoughts or behavior or certain challenges or certain relationships, and you're like, ah, I don't know if I can do it. And you say, well, God, what, what do I do? To which God says back, not what you will do. It's what we will do together. You see, this is the whole point. It isn't to give you a collection of commands and say, well, here, here, go ahead. Get that done by tomorrow or you'll be in trouble with me. It isn't this thing where all of a sudden, because I've read it and I know it, I can do it. I can't. In fact, the more I read it, the more I realize I am so far from this. God says, well, good. Now we're understanding. Now we're communicating. Because the call is to bring us into this supernatural relationship. It's why we have grace. It's why Jesus gives us his spirit. It begins this journey. And I don't shrink the truth. I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to step into this. And all of a sudden when I'm complaining, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What are you doing, Mark? Oof. I'm complaining. But instead of running away, instead of cringing in shame, in that moment I say, I need your help. I can't do this alone. What do I do? Well, try thanking me. Because somewhere in the book it says, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God for your life. James says, in fiery trials, give thanks. So all of a sudden I, I begin to give thanks, and when I give thanks, I encounter this grace, and when I encounter this grace, I begin to see the situation different. And instead of complaining, I'm starting to see, wait a second, there's a possibility here. There's hope. There's a way through this. 
which is exactly why in the Gospel of John, he takes the time to introduce this new element of Jesus and what he said when Jesus declares, I am the way. I am the life. I am the truth. You want to know what's true? It's me. You want to know how to get through this? It's me. You want to know how to have a good, happy, holy, healthy life? It's me. And so when I look at this hard verse and I go, Lord, how, how am I going to do this? I hear, I am your way. Come on with me. I'll show you. But Lord, I don't have the strength to do this. Mark, I'm your life. I'm the strength of your life. Okay? Well, well Lord, is this really trustworthy? Like, are you going to be happy and am I going to be happy? Yeah. Mark, I- I'm the truth. In fact, the word says I cannot lie. What I'm taking you on is completely reliable. And so the biggest challenge that we face is not understanding what God has said, it's trusting it. It's joining our hands together to say, okay, I hear you. It's somehow if you spoke this command, there's also grace that enables me to live it. And I know the only way that I will discover that is with you which is why the series is entitled what it is, With You to Know You. When I started preparing this sermon, I have a ton of stuff on the Gospel of John. It's one of the Gospels I've studied the most in my tenure as a pastor. I have commentaries all over the place. I have a volume of stuff on the hard drive of my computer. I have old sermon notes, and I began to kind of rummage through them, and immediately I kind of felt the Holy, not kind of, I did feel the Holy Spirit going, hello, hello. Are you doing this with me? Not exactly. (laughs) I just thought you gave me like an errand, and I'm running off like an errand boy. And I was reminded of the genius of this young man who's relatively new in Christ, and we were in a setting where we were helping him hear the voice of God. And Brendan had said to him, you know, sometimes you just got to pause and say, Lord, speak to me, and then write down what, what you get. So this young man did that. He wrote down. Uh, four words, I think it was. And so when, when he got done with his little exercise, I said, you know, what were the four words? I said, did they mean anything to you? And he said, well, yeah, but I caught myself racing to meaning. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I stopped listening to God and started listening to me what I thought the words meant. And so he stopped. And I said, boy. If God gave them, we need to make sure we understand what it is the purpose or the meaning. What's, what's he saying in those words? Just like understanding the turn signal. What am I trying to do? Say hello? Perhaps the story will drive this point down. There was a gathering for dinner that of Christian artists, and of course there was all kinds of celebrities that were there, and at the dinner was this well-known orator, narrated movies and plays, and done commercials, and even done a version of the Bible, if 
knew his name, you'd go, oh, yeah. And he was noticed there and recognized and, and at, the, at a time where they were talking about poems and then some of the great psalms of the Bible. And so someone said, hey, would you mind standing and reading us Psalm 23? So the orator said, sure, I'd be glad to. Came and took stage. He masterfully recited the psalm, and everyone was really impressed with his powers of narration. And someone else had noticed that there was a relatively known older pastor, a man who was kind of under the radar, but was a seasoned person, well-spoken of, and someone who knew Christ in deep ways. And they said, hey, it'd be kind of interesting to hear a pastor do it now. Would you mind? And at first he was a little reticent, and then he accepted. He said, sure. And he stood up where he was, and slowly he quoted the psalm verbatim from his heart. And instead of people being impressed, they were moved, touched. Afterwards, someone commented and said this. The orator knew the psalm. The pastor knew the shepherd. That, my friends, is what we're after. Not that you would know the gospel, but that you would know the one the gospel's about. Better. 
thank you for being our defender. When we go into those valleys, those shadows, Lord, you are with us always. You are always walking by our side. Lord, we just have to worship you. We just want to be with you.
事。All I did was bow down. All I did was stay still. 